We do so appreciate our choir singing the message to us. And now let's turn to God's word to the gospel of John. If you have God's word with you, go to John chapter one and let's talk about the word made flesh. Is there a job where you work that you just would not do? Is there a task that you really feel like would be beneath you? Maybe it's taking out the trash. I'll do anything, but I won't take out the trash. Or if things need sweeping up around here, hey, that's not my job, I'm not gonna do that. Or those restrooms, <laughs> certainly not. I'm not gonna have anything to do with those. And I, I recognize all of us have job descriptions for the work we do. But what if there is a need? Something arises where you work. How quickly would you move to the mop in the mop bucket if needed? Or would you just fold your arms and say, not my problem, not my company, not my problem, somebody else's problem. When we think about how we typically are, when we think some things are beneath us, doesn't it make us marvel when we think about what God was willing to do for us? When we consider what Jesus was willing to do, to see us in our problem, not his problem, when you see us in the brokenness and the mess we've made in our lives, to see that Jesus himself would come to rescue us, it is amazing. He got personally involved. So we're here celebrating Christmas, and it's not a message that, you know, at Christmas, God sent a memo to the earth. That wouldn't be exciting. I mean, we already have the word of God. We have the law and we were breaking the law. Neither was the message of Christmas that, you know, he sent an angel. God's a great delegator. He sent angels just to clean up the mess down here. That wasn't it. Angels had a role, but they certainly didn't fix the problem. So what I want us to do in a few moments here is to talk about at Christmas, who came, why he came, and what our response is to him. So who did come at Christmas? So many wonderful, significant players in that first Christmas. There were the prophets who centuries before told about this one who would come. There were the angels and they were dispatched. It's so notable that to Mary and Joseph, the angel describing how's this birth gonna happen when there's been no physical contact here. And famously those angels on the hillside announcing the birth of Jesus there on the night of his birth, the angels played a role. Then there are Mary and Joseph, and we're impressed with them, so ordinary, but yet so faithful to carry out the mission God gave them. But then we come to Jesus, and far more impressive, by far, is Jesus, where God himself, through his son, stepped into the world to save us. It's truly mind-blowing. And this is where John wants you to understand. This is where he starts his gospel so that you and I would know who Jesus is. Think about it now. John is one of the disciples of Jesus, walked with him, lived among him. But he wants to let you know there's more than what meets the eye when you look at Jesus. Look at how he starts his gospel. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now skip to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John here describing Jesus that he knew so well, uses a unique title for him here. He calls him the word. We know what a word is. A word is an expression that communicates. And our God is a God who communicates. We see him speaking the universe into existence. Don't you remember that great verse where he says, let there be light? There was light. 
And we see God in the garden communicating, using words to communicate to Adam and Eve. And the ultimate expression that God has toward mankind is Jesus himself. One scholar said it this way, as the word, the son of God fully conveys and communicates God. It's what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 1.1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Colossians 1.15 speaks of Jesus this way. He is the image of the invisible God. So who is this word? The word is Jesus. And here John wants you to know this is who he is. He's more than you might have known. And so he tells us a number of things about Jesus here that we want us to look at quickly here. First of all, Jesus is deity. He is deity. That's what we see in our text. The word was with God and the word was God. Gives us a little glimpse here into the Trinity here in the relationship we see here between God, the father and God, the son, not two separate gods, though distinct, they share the same divine essence, though the Holy Spirit's not mentioned in this text, but we have that teaching throughout the scripture that we have one God eternally existing in three persons. So John makes the point right at the beginning in the very first verse, he says, this one, Jesus, he is the word who was with God, who was God. So he's deity. Secondly, he is eternal. Notice what he says in verse one again, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Then verse two, he reinforces it. He was in the beginning with God. Mark starts his gospel talking about John the Baptist being the forerunner of the Messiah. Luke starts his gospel with the account of Jesus's birth. Last week, we considered how Matthew started his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus, starting with Abraham and tracing down to Jesus. But John goes back much farther than even Abraham. He goes to eternity past and he tells you that Jesus was there, God the Son. In fact, John begins the way the book, the first book of the Bible begins in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. And that's the beginning that John has in mind here when he begins the writing of his gospel. So before God ever created the world, the triune God existed. There's never been a time when our God has not existed here. We're told the word, the eternal son of God, there at the very beginning, eternity past. So understand this one born in Bethlehem truly has always existed. He just took on humanity in the womb of Mary and we get to know him as Christ there in Bethlehem, but always existed. So he is deity, John tells us. He is eternal, but notice this, he is your creator. Did you notice verse three? All things were made through him. Notice it again. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Then verse three, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. This is your creator who came to you in Bethlehem. And then this, he is light and life. Notice verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. So he's life and all life has come from Jesus. In fact, Jesus even described himself that way in John 14, six, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
And so he's the very author of life. He's the giver of life itself. I love it when we think about what God made. He did make the majestic mountains and the vast oceans, all these inanimate things. But he created life. Every living thing has come from him. This one we're celebrating. The one here called the Word. He was with God. He was God. Verse 14, he became flesh that first Christmas and dwelt among us. He indeed is Emmanuel, literally God with us. So we're just talking about who he is. And there we look at him in Bethlehem, born as a baby. And we say, that is not how I would have expected that to go if I were to consider who he really, really is. There is a familiar Christmas song by For Him that we hear this time of year. That song, A Strange Way to Save the World. It has this line in it. To think of how it could have been if Jesus had come as he deserved, there would have been no Bethlehem, no lowly shepherds at his birth. This is such a strange way to save the world. And God the Son indeed came wonderfully to save us. God wrapping himself in humanity, even as a baby. Unusual indeed, strange indeed, but wonderful. For Jesus, who is God in the flesh, coming so humbly, coming so poor, so earthy, so gritty, but make no mistake, when you look at Christ here at the first Christmas, more than meets the eye, this is God who came to us becoming one of us. But then this question, why? Why would God do that? Well, it was a rescue mission. John tells us that he came as light and life to a, to a world full of darkness and death. Yes, he came to fully reveal God to us but really to bring us out of darkness and death into his light and life. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So he became one of us in order to reach us. It was a rescue mission. And this rescue mission had death as its point. So when Jesus died at the end of his life, it was not the plan of God going out of control, like this didn't work out like planned. No, his death on the cross 33 years later, that was the plan. You and I are always inspired when we watch the news and we hear about some daring rescue from one of our SEAL teams. We always hear about it after the fact, of course, and, uh, but we're just so admiring the heroism of these who would leave America on a mission that they trained for, that they rehearsed, we're told, to go rescue somebody. And typically, they are successful in bringing somebody out or some group of people out. Occasionally, though, one of those courageous men will die in that rescue effort. And we'll go, wow, that was amazing. And uh, everything went as scripted, <clears throat> except for one of those men didn't come back. And so we grieve that even while celebrating. But, but understand this, with Jesus coming, death was the point. That was mission successful. This is why Jesus came, God in the flesh, taking on flesh and blood, that he might give that flesh and blood in payment for our sins on a cross outside of Jerusalem 33 years later. This is what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 2.14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So our sins had to be atoned for. A sacrifice was needed. Doesn't the entire Old Testament sacrificial system point to the fact there needed to be a perfect blood sacrifice? 
And Jesus was the one who came as the Lamb of God, spotless Lamb, to fulfill all of that, to be the once and for all sacrifice for us. It is indeed interesting that the prophet Micah foretold that this one who would be the Lamb of God would be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a place where they did raise up the sheep that would be used in temple sacrifice in nearby Jerusalem. And here's Jesus fulfilling all of that. And so he came to rescue us, to give his life for us. We should be stunned by this. Think about it with me. When we think about those SEAL teams, when they are dispatched to go rescue somebody, notice with me, it takes a courageous president, whatever party, whatever president, just think generically here for a moment. When you think about that president, it's courageous to, to send them out because it may not go well. It takes a lot of guts. But notice this, the president himself never goes. And in truth, we're not knocking them for that. We don't want them to go. They're too old for that. They're not trained for that. And it, was not, it, would be, it would be reckless for a nation to send out their president. But I want you to see what God did. God himself came. This wasn't him just delegating. This wasn't him sending out people. He sent people in advance. But there were forerunners. But it was Jesus coming. It was God stepping into his earth to rescue us himself. Only he could accomplish this. No angel could have done this for us. We needed him to rescue us himself. And this leads us to a final question. How will you respond to that news? That God loved you like this. That this was God's plan to reconcile you to himself. How will you respond to this? Sadly, we know that most people will not receive him. In fact, that's what our text tells us here. Look at now John 1 verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Text says here, amazing plan of salvation but they don't know him and they don't receive him. That's the decision of most people. And, and God knew that even before he launched the plan. Jesus spoke this way in John chapter three, John three nineteen, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Can I ask you this morning, is that you? Are you among the majority who would hear this good news and reject it? Most people have this mentality. Look, I'll take your holiday. I like this custom of giving and receiving gifts, especially the receiving of those gifts. But I do not need nor do I want what you're offering here. I don't want your light. I don't need it. I don't want the life you're offering. I don't need a rescue and I don't want it. And I certainly don't want your leadership. That is the posture of the entire world and most people that you know. But I pray it's not you this morning. Another, just another human being rejecting the love of God. But my prayer is that you will respond as God desires, that you would turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus. Notice what's beautifully promised in verse 12 here. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's an amazing offer to us. And that's our move this morning, to respond to Jesus by receiving him, by believing in him. First of all, believing this, I need a savior. 
God, you say I need a Savior, then I agree with you that my sin must be such that it has separated me from you. I believe that because that's what your word teaches. And I'm sorry for my sin. And I believe this, that Jesus, you alone can save me. Here you are. You came to the earth for this mission. You lived perfectly. Nobody else has. You died on the cross for me. You were raised from the dead. Makes it very clear. You're the only one. And so I'm trusting in you. I believe in you that you can save me. And I believe it so much, I'm going to ask you to save me. I pray you'll do that right now. Jesus, would you, would you save me from all of my sins? I do believe in you. I believe only in you. I trust only in you to make me right with you. And listen to the promise again. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. If you trust in Jesus, you get to become a child of God. Everybody else is not a child of God. We're all creations of God, created in his image. That's wonderful. But only those who believe in Jesus receive the rescue. Only those are the adopted children of God. You get to be immediately in the family of God. You have a home with him forever if you turn and receive in Jesus. But somebody might say today, hey, what, what big sin have I done that I need such an elaborate rescue? What big sin have I done that I need God to rescue me? I'll tell you the big sin. The big sin is rejecting the Savior. One more time, let's go back into this modern rescue I've been telling you about. If with SEAL teams going out, what if it were you overseas somewhere in a difficult place and the president dispatched SEAL Team 6 to come and get you? And upon coming to the place where you're, they kick the door in, they take out those kidnappers all around you. And if you said to those rescuers, I don't want the rescue, I didn't ask for you to come. I'm, I'm fine right here. And if they told you, we lost one of our men coming to get you, and you said, I didn't care, I didn't ask him to do that. How many people in America would have pity for you when the story's told that, hey, didn't, didn't want the rescue, waved us off? Not many people would pity you for that. It'd be the ultimate foolish thing to do. But that's us if we say, I don't want the Savior. You say, what's my big sin? That is your mammoth sin. When God says, I'm willing to save you, I love you so much, I did all this for you. My son died on a cross for you and was raised from the dead. And if you wave that off, I don't need it, I don't want it. There is your horrendous sin. He said, what sin will send me to hell? That sin, that lack of gratitude, that lack of faith, that unbelief will send you to hell. And God has given you eternal life. He's offering it to you. Oh, would you receive him? As Jesus said, if you believe in him, you'll not perish but have everlasting life. That's what God wants for you. So I want to give you a moment. Would you today turn from sin, turn from rejecting him, reject your rejection today, reject your sin that you might receive Jesus in this glorious gift of peace and joy and hope he's offering to you. Let's pray together.